On the Riabu podcast today, we're focusing on trade. Now, at this time of uh, the COVID or post-COVID recovery, many businesses will be just thinking about how do I get cash in the door? How do I find customers? And of course, it may very well be that those customers are overseas. Flights, uh, passenger flights, of course, are still uh, few and far between, but it is possible to ship your products uh, abroad. Services, well, they may have to wait. So the question that we're answering today is how can you get that trade-based cash flow generation underway, particularly seeing that two-thirds of companies, according to uh, research, um, uh, two-thirds of the global 400 million or so small and medium enterprises are in fact involved in export or import in some fashion. Uh, there are four things that have been identified as the places where you might be able to get some financing to ensure that your customers overseas not only buy your products, but also pay for them and for you to generate cash that way. Simon Littlewood, uh, good morning. Nice to see you again. Morning, Mark. Yeah, this is, this is a great topic. I mean, I, I remember, uh, you know, it's about the role of export uh, in the activity of SMEs, but more specifically, given where we are now, the potential role of export in the recovery of SMEs from the catastrophe that has been COVID. Yeah. To some extent, it might seem more complicated than just selling to people in your own country, after all, or your own city, for that matter, who chances are you can visit. There are no travel restrictions to see them. And chances are you possibly know their culture a little bit better than to sell to a customer in another country where there might be language and cultural barriers to boot. Yes, I think that's absolutely true. On the other hand, if you think about it like this, you know, I've lost a big chunk of my market because my customers aren't growing, they're not able to buy my stuff, or some of them have even gone out of business. If I can have access to a larger pool of potential customers, the probability that I can find new customers is greater. So first of all, the advantage of an, of an external look export is that my chances of replacing sales with another customer are greater. And secondly, I, what I particularly like about this is because you can't travel as you so rightly say it plays into the um into the digitalization of business because you're going to have to do this probably the same way that we're doing this podcast which is via zoom or another tool because you can't travel so uh, you're going to have to have access to these new customers by some kind of virtual method um and Certainly they exist because we know there's been massive supply chain disruption all over the region. Even before COVID, we had disruption because product from China was not available and people were replacing their, their supplies. Um, and uh, we've got, you know, the, the second issue now, of course, which is the, where we came in on this, which is how do I fund all that? Given that as an SMA, I'm already short of money. What are the implications of finding overseas customers? And even if they can plug my sales gap, how do I find the working capital to, 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 to serve them? Yeah. Yes, and that's what we're hoping to address in the next couple of minutes. Uh, clearly a complicated subject, but let's start with the beginning of this value chain. In other words, you've gotten the raw materials. You've in fact now managed to find a customer and the customer after negotiation has sent you a purchase order. So pre-shipment finance, seems to be the first port of call. What can you do in relation to, you know, you've got the purchase order, you know the customer is committed to buy, what can you do with it? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, this, what is working capital? Working capital says that from the time that I take an order from a customer to the time that that customer's money is in my bank, I've essentially got to fund all that activity. I've got to fund buying the raw materials, manufacturing the product, delivering the product, billing and waiting while my customer decides to pay my invoice. And if I'm already desperately short of cash, which many SMEs are, 
how am I going to fund that? Um, the answer might be, as you say, to, um, to be able to take finance based on, on concrete orders. Clearly, your funder will want to know who the purchase order is from and to check that it's a legitimate one. So presumably, you do need to have quite a bit of proof in hand to say that this, isn't, uh, that this purchase order is going to, at some point, turn into cash. The whole, you know, one of the critical elements of a world business model which moves more and more towards automation and, and virtual, um, virtual selling uh, is the need for another way to do due diligence. You know, the way that we used to do is we used to go and sit down and meet people and get to know them a bit and, and, and look at their financial records in some cases. Well, in a world where we can't do that, we have to find other ways of doing this, actually. And uh, I think there are ways of doing this. There are ways of finding out who they are, whether or not you can trust them, um, and whether or not they're likely to pay your bills at the end of the day. What else needs to be in a purchase order that will give your funder confidence, quite apart from the name of the customer? Well, we know this, don't we? I mean, it's. I would want to see before doing any business with anyone, a firm commitment on payment terms. Otherwise, I'm essentially writing a blank check. So it's not only that I'm going to buy something, it's going to be delivered by such and such a date, it's going to be paid for at a predetermined and pre-agreed price. And if, if there's an exchange rate issue here, that needs to be covered off. So there's, there isn't, so there's a minim minimization of exchange rate risk. Um, and finally, that there is a written agreement in place that my customer is going to pay me with a credit policy well a credit policy yes a credit policy that um that's the full monty if you like but at the very least if you can't get a new overseas customer to sign a detailed document you need you need formal agreement per transaction that they recognize payment terms and are committed to paying you on time and because one of the big challenges of export is we've gone from a world 25 years ago when I first started looking at this in Asia where by and large export was done based on a letter of credit. That is a guaranteed payment from a bank certain to subject to certain criteria being met one bank, my bank to your bank. We've moved from a situation where it's mostly now open credit. That is when I sell stuff abroad, particularly it's within an ASEAN country, Association of Southeast Asian Nations. I'm expected to provide open credit, which might make life easier because it doesn't involve banks, but it also exposes you to the risk of non-payment or late payment in a way that you didn't have to worry before. Yeah? Okay, so in addition to pre-shipment finance, I guess the next step then is inventory finance. This is possibly not something that SMEs generally think about, but borrowing against the finished product sitting in your warehouse might even be an option. Yes, uh, well, this has been around for quite a long time. I mean, I, 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 we should say that to the extent that you should be thinking about improving your cash flow based on customer behavior and your relationship with the customer, we only counsel borrowing, taking out additional lending against an asset like inventory if it really makes sense and if you have no choice, yeah? Um, but, but yes, I mean, inventory, you have a certain amount of stock in trade, you might keep one month or two months of inventory. It has a certain value. Based on a discounted notion of that value, a lender will be prepared to advance funds. But remember, you have to pay the interest on those funds. Um, and at some point you have to pay the, the money back. Yeah. And, and in general, it seems that inventory finance is anyway a short term arrangement. Uh, well, it's, it's, it's typically some kind of rolling arrangement um, where you have a, a, a line of credit against a certain value of inventory and you have to show that you've got that value of inventory. Of course, if you're going through a catastrophic um, 
shrinkage in the market, such as we've seen uh, in the last six months, um, that might call into question the value of inventory. So it's a, it's a bit like if you own a house where the market value has gone way down. You know, in Singapore, you'd be asked to pay the difference between your mortgage and the market value. It's the same with inventory. If you fund inventory up to a certain level, and then the value of inventory falls below that level, you've got an exposure. You might have to find money to cover the difference um, at a time when you don't have any money to cover the difference. You know, it's a margin call, as we'd say in the stock market. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I mean, this is always a risk whenever you borrow money. Yeah. Indeed. Okay, so we've talked about pre-shipment finance. Once you've got the purchase order, the customer is committed to buy. We've talked about borrowing money against the inventory, the finished product sitting in your warehouse. And then we come to, I guess, what's become very popular of late, and that is receivables finance, invoice discounting, receivables purchases, factoring, different names for it. Um, but that also has its limitations, as we have reflected on in the past. Well, the world and his wife, frankly, are falling over themselves trying to lend money to SMEs and based on receivables. Um, we have always said that you should only do this where there's a very solid reason for doing it. And you should, certainly should not do it in order to obscure the fact that your customers are systematically paying you late. Always, you should try and operate in such a way that you have very clear payment terms and that your customers are encouraged by the thoughtful way that you engage with them right from the beginning of the relationship to meet those terms. If when you've done that and you're being paid on time, you still have a need for additional funding. Well, first of all, you're in a good position to get the funding because you can demonstrate to a lender that you're on top of your receivable situation. And secondly, the amount that you need to borrow will be reduced by the fact that you have, you have cash at bank. The, the, reason, the, reason, the reason I'm saying this is because it's, we, we've seen the consequences of simply borrowing more and more money rather than focusing on basic disciplines around getting paid on time. And one consequence of that that we've talked about a couple of times is where Singapore SMEs, for example, have borrowed money from banks, in 70% of the cases, their primary residence is secured against that borrowing. So we were, even before COVID, we were looking at a significant level of personal exposure, uh, exposure sorry, um, where, where a large chunk of uh, Singapore's most important entrepreneurs, if you like, because SMEs employ, what, 70% of the people here, um, were, had their own property at risk. Um, so that's you know, not a good situation. And it's not clear how much latitude we have to, to borrow more money if we're already in that situation. No? Yes. Okay. So we've talked about those three. Uh, and I guess the, the concluding comment about all these different types of financing is that at the end of the day, it really does depend on your funder having some idea as to what or who the customer is, what sort of payment conduct they've displayed in the past. So that even whether, you know, whether they borrow against the inventory or rather you borrow against the inventory or you borrow against your purchase order or your invoice for that matter, that your lender, your funder can be assured that they're going to get their money back at some point. Yes. Well, you know, we've talked about this. There are, there are a number of ways that a potential lender can access publicly available information on your balance sheet. For example, the trouble with that is particularly when you've got a sudden disruption in the market like that we've seen over the last three to six months, the information that's publicly available, which is based on the last lot of accounts, is next to useless. Uh, so what's much more useful is to have an up-to-the-moment up, up reading on how your potential customer is doing in terms of managing their exist, existing receivables asset. Um, and that's something, as you know, that we strongly encourage at Riabu, where we provide a 
a gap analysis which explains to potential SMEs who might want to improve their cash flow and eventually borrow money, where the gaps are in their processes, how they can address them, and how having addressed them, they will not only have more cash in their bank accounts, but also be able to present a very credible face to a potential lender. Thank you, Simon. And if you want to know more about uh, the uh, various options that we've talked about, there is a very uh, useful article, uh, the link of which we have placed into the description of this podcast. You might like to take a read at the SME Crisis Playbook, which uh, spells out some of these uh, points in much greater detail. Meantime, thank you very much, Simon. Have a great day ahead. Yeah, good luck to all SMEs. Uh, may you be able to weather the next few months in fine health. <laughs>